The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus looked up to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, and not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. The Gospel of the Lord. May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In the Episcopal Church, we recognize seven primary feasts of the Church. Seven days where we really get together and celebrate and turn the volume up, Sing our loudest, put on our most beautiful vestments. Five of these feasts we know quite well. We know them because we live them every year. We celebrate them wholeheartedly when they arrive. There's Easter, Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, in which we celebrate our own naming, All Saints Day, and Christmas. And then there are two that we don't really know that much about, or we don't celebrate, or we don't pay attention to. One is Epiphany. I think we know a little bit more about Epiphany because we love singing about the three wise men. Um, And the other one is the Feast of the Ascension. The Feast of the Ascension occurs 40 days after Easter, and it always happens on a Thursday. And because we don't like coming to church on a Thursday, we hardly ever celebrate it. I understand at one point, Trinity offered even song with other local parishes in the area, but Ascension is a very neglected feast. It's sort of the fulfillment of Easter time. If we look at a larger picture of what we have just gone through, we can think of beginning on Palm Sunday, walking through Holy Week, coming to Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter, both the vigil in the morning. And then, 
After the resurrection, Jesus just doesn't disappear. He goes around for 40 days, teaching, eating with his disciples, appearing to people wherever they are. And today, or this past Thursday, the Ascension. It's not a movable feast like all saints, so we rarely get to celebrate it on a Sunday, but in this year's lectionary cycle, we get to hear the tale of the Ascension from the Acts of the Apostles in our first lesson. In this story, we find Jesus gathered together on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and the disciples, you figure they would have changed over time after everything they had seen and heard and been through, but they don't. They sort of lapse into old expectations. The first thing they say is, Lord, is the time when you restore, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Even after everything, they're still thinking in temporal terms. They'd heard Jesus teach. They'd seen him die. They'd witnessed him raising from the dead, and they're still thinking in terms of this about when the Roman Empire's rule will end, when the puppet kings will get out, when their homeland will rule itself. And it's not as if they're even thinking of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Their question is about here and now a temporal rule. It's sort of a reversion of thought, going back to how they thought before Jesus taught them differently. And yet, once again, he shifts their attention. Instead of talking about a kingdom, he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is a different kind of power than they were hoping for. This is a power that's not found sitting on a throne or ruling an army or revitalizing some fabled lost kingdom. Power, Jesus tells them, will come from the indwelling of God among them. This is what they should be looking for. The presence of the holy and the divine in the midst of them, not some kingdom or some earthly power but to be witnesses, to be proclaimers of the good news. Jesus makes them the promise of the coming of the Spirit, shifts their attention back towards God, and this is the last thing that he does. We're told at that moment he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. I wonder why this. Why did Jesus depart this way? He was disappearing, going in and out all of the time. He could have just disappeared and gone away. He could have lived life for longer. He could have done something else. So what does this last miraculous event signify? One way of understanding the ascension is to remember the story of the prophet Elijah. Maybe you remember Elijah from Sunday school, however long ago that was. But Elijah was taken up into heaven on chariots of fire. This was at the end of the, his ministry, and it was witnessed by his student, Elijah. 
And before departing, Elijah said to Elisha, if he wanted anything, he asked him if he wanted anything. And Elisha responded, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. So Elijah promised Elisha that if Elisha saw him being taken up into heaven, he would get a double share of that spirit. His wish would be fulfilled. And in that moment, Elisha did see that, and Elijah's power was transferred to Elisha in that moment. If we read the ascension through this lens, which undoubtedly, literally, it was meant to be read through this lens, we see that Jesus is turning over his power to the disciples. The biblical scholar Richard Pervo suggests that the parallels between these two stories suggests that it is about succession. Through being present with Jesus as he's taken up into heaven, they then inherit his spirit. They become his successors, the one who will continue his work. So the ascension means that Christ's work continues whether he is physically present or not. That the work Jesus began here of bringing about the kingdom continues in the disciples and in through each one of us without the physical presence. Another way of understanding the ascension is sort of that whenever we see a miracle in the Gospels or in the Scriptures, it's a way of the writer saying, pay attention, something important is happening here. It's a way of sort of trying to arrest our attention and say, wow, look at what's going on here. And this is sort of a spectacular scene. You know, can you imagine Jesus just ascending up into the clouds? This scene has captured Christian imagination. Artists for generations have tried to encapsulate this. One of my favorite efforts of this is at Walsingham in the United Kingdom. And in the chapel of the Ascension, you look up and you just see two feet sticking out of the ceiling. And so that's all that you see are the two feet and the sort of clouds around it. Highly recommend looking it up. This past Thursday, I was doing a Bible study at Newbury Court, and then we did healing prayer here, so I was looking at some of the liturgies around the Ascension. And in the Church of England's liturgy, they assigned this prayer for the dead. Risen Christ, you have raised our human nature to the throne of heaven. Help us to seek and serve you that we may join with you at the Father's side where you reign with the Spirit and glory now and forever. I think the first part of that is the key of what the author is trying to call our attention to with this miracle. You have raised our human nature to the throne of heaven. This is miraculous. You know, so frequently we talk about the divine coming down to earth in the person of Jesus. I mean, that's the story of the Incarnation, the Christmas day that God is among us and dwells with us and is present with us. That on that day, the divine and human natures become fully present in Jesus. But what about the other way around? 
how often do we think about what it signifies that the humanity of Jesus has risen to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father? Because the resurrection does not negate Jesus' humanity. Yes, his body was different, but it's still human. Over the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, we hear about Jesus eating with his disciples. The physical body is the body that needs food. We hear about him walking alongside, about him talking. We hear about people touching his body. We hear about Jesus showing the wounds in his hand and in his side. Jesus is very physical in his resurrected body. And as Jesus ascended, all of this went with him into heaven. He did not leave behind any part, but he brought with him the fullness of humanity, the fullness of who we are in our experience. Now, to me, this is something worth celebrating. Our wounded, broken nature was taken up by Christ. Humanity has been brought to heaven on this day. Our wounded bodies, the scars we bear, the things we can't fully heal from are elevated to the throne of God. We don't has to become something other than who we are to be in the Holy One's presence because it's already there. So often, we think we have to fix ourselves. We have to make ourselves better. If we change our thinking, if we do the right thing, then, then, then we'll be good enough. But that's the ascension tells us that this isn't true. We don't have to fix ourselves fully. We don't have to make ourselves perfect. We don't have to be completely healed before we turn to God because the fullness of humanity is already there. Our God bears all two human wounds. Painful wounds afflicted by injustice. Yes, wounds caused by the worst aspects of humanity. Wounds that never should have happened, but also the wounds of living, the wounds acquired when his friend Lazarus died and he just sat and cried. I think we all bear wounds like this, ones that aren't necessarily made by ourselves, not just physical wounds, but the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual wounds. Wounds that may have been inflicted by others or may have been inflicted by self or just come from the process of everyday, ordinary living. And the good news of the ascension is that all of that is welcome in the presence of God because all of that is already there. All that we are. Not just the nice and the pretty parts, but the disfigured, the broken, the unhealed parts, the wounds, the scars, all of who we are is welcome. So rejoice, dear friends. Christ.
has ascended in the fullness of all that it means to be human, creating in the process more than enough room for each and every one of us in all that we are. 